Yeah, thank you, Father God, that you are here with us this morning. Uh, and now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would be with us. Would you help us to um, understand your word and to apply it? Help us to uh, adore you and to cherish you more as we read of what you did and what you are still doing. Bless us as we read it and study your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning, everyone. I hope everybody is doing well today. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm a member here at uh, Christ First Watford. And this morning, I have a privilege of drawing our preaching series on prayer to a close. Um, in doing so, we are going to look at uh, and read and dwell on a hugely significant, important and moving passage of Scripture. I often like to start my preachers uh, with an everyday illustration, as something light uh, to engage us. However, that doesn't feel uh, appropriate uh, for this morning's passage. And so we're going to dive uh, straight in this morning, because I believe God has something uh, significant and powerful for us to hear today. And so if you have a, a Bible with you at home, uh, then I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, now, last week, Andy brought us a message from John's Gospel, uh, chapter 17, as we studied what is colloquially uh, referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And we're going to pick up the story uh, directly after this, uh, but now switching uh, into the Gospel of Matthew, where we're going to read Matthew's account of uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this event is recorded in each of the uh, synoptic Gospels, uh, being Matthew, Mark, and Luke. However, it's, it's not recorded in John's Gospel, and hence that's why we're switching from John's Gospel over to Matthew's Gospel this morning. Uh, now, for some context for us, uh, in the immediately preceding verses of Matthew, we see that the chief priests are, are plotting to kill Jesus. Uh, we read that Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And we read the the account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, where, where Jesus again acknowledges that Judas will betray him. And so what, we, what we're going to read this morning is, the, is, a, is an account of the night before Jesus dies. Um, and Jesus knows this, and we get to read what Jesus does at this time. Uh, and so uh, this morning, uh, Matthew, as we read his gospel, he, he invites us into the garden of Gethsemane, uh, to gaze upon Jesus and to listen to one of Jesus's most uh, important and significant prayers. Uh, so let's uh, read the word together. And we, so we're starting from uh, verse 36 of Matthew chapter 26. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV, and the words will appear on the, on the screen. So starting from verse uh, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The centerpiece of human history is Jesus. Our annual calendar, uh, namely the Gregorian calendar, uses the terms AD and BC, and we are, uh, a com- we are currently in the year AD 2021. Uh, this is intended to mark 2,021 years since Jesus' birth, and, and it feels entirely appropriate for Jesus' birth to be the centerpiece of our calendar. You see, uh, since the creation of the world, all of history, and indeed um, all of uh, Scripture, has been waiting for the Savior to come, the Messiah, Jesus. Um, and all this waiting culminates in this scene, and, and in the 24 hours, which, well, more than 24 hours, two or three days which happen after this scene. Uh, and so we're looking into this hugely significant moment in, in human history, just before Jesus sheds his blood. And so it is um, enlightening to consider what Jesus does before he is crucified. What does Jesus do? He prays. Uh, Jesus is in his, his darkest hour, the most difficult moment of his life, and he prays. Uh, brothers and sisters, this morning, let us remember that there, is, that there is no season of a soul where it is not appropriate for us to turn to God in prayer. I don't know... Uh, how you are this morning. Uh, perhaps life is really good. You are certain of God's goodness, and it feels like God's blessings are shining upon you. Then it is right to give thanks to God and pray. Uh, or perhaps this morning, uh, life is tough. Uh, perhaps you're facing various trials. Um, it feels like you're walking through a valley, and the road ahead appears dark and bleak. If that's the case, then it's still right to turn to God and pray. You see, uh, prayer essentially is communication with God. It's talking with our loving, heavenly Father. Uh, And God is all-knowing. He knows everything about us and everything we are going through and everything that causes us concern. God uh, can never be shocked or surprised when we come to him and tell him about our struggles. Uh, Heavenly Father, I've had a bad day. I'm really concerned about filling the gap. Whatever it is, God knows and God cares. So that's the first point, that we should be people who uh, pray in all seasons. 
And we can learn something about uh, how uh, Jesus prays too. So note that uh, Jesus brings his disciples uh, with him to the garden. But then in, in verses 36 and 39, we see that Jesus separates himself slightly so that he can pray by himself. Uh, a few weeks ago, Tom spoke about the importance of personal prayer. Um, and we have a reminder again this morning about the importance of spending time alone with God. Uh, now, I'm not dismissing the importance of corporate prayer at all. We're going to look at that in a moment. But uh, there's something about personal prayer which is really significant. Uh, personal prayer is uh, the foundation of not only our corporate prayer life, but also our spiritual life as a whole. Uh, John Calvin uh, says uh, the following. He says, uh, it is useful to pray apart, for then the faithful soul develops itself more familiarly, and with greater simplicity pours forth its petitions, groans, cares, fears, hopes, and joys into the bosom of God. There is something about praying alone which enables us to pray uh, with greater simplicity and honesty before God. So let's continue to come before God in times of personal prayer. Uh, now, as a church, we're, we're coming towards the end of, our, uh, of this series, this 40 days of prayer, which is going to end over Easter. And I wonder how you've found this. Has your personal prayer life uh, been strengthened and deepened over these 40 days? Um, if so, uh, then my, I guess, the challenge this morning is, is not for us to revert back to where we were 40 days ago. Uh, let's um, consider the lessons we, we've learned over the past 40 days, the good habits that we may have picked up, and let us continue in those things in the future. Uh, if the daily prayer prompts uh, that we've been receiving have been helpful, reminding you to pray, uh, then there are numerous resources that you can use going forward which can do the same thing. Um, if instead this morning you know that actually your, your personal prayer life, it, it needs more work, um, then don't ignore the example that Jesus sets us this morning. So as a church, let's continue to grow in our dependency on prayer. Uh, thirdly, uh, note how uh, Jesus prays physically in this passage. We read in verse 39 that Jesus falls on his face. Uh, he lowers himself physically. And there is something about lowering our physical body which uh, reflects our inner attitude. In Jesus' culture, uh, you would lower yourself before a greater authority. And so, and so Jesus here is he's showing humility uh, before the Father and also his submission to God's will. Um, I wonder, uh, when, when was the last time that you, you prayed on your knees before God? Uh, I'm not saying that praying standing up or, or even sitting down is, is wrong or sinful. However, there are, there are times in life when it feels appropriate to lower ourselves physically because that acknowledges our humility before God and it acknowledges his rule and reign over our lives. Uh, now, before we uh, go on to look at Jesus' prayer in, in greater detail, uh, we can also learn something about prayer from uh, what the disciples do during this narrative. Uh, before, I mentioned uh, that Jesus separated himself from the disciples so that he could pray alone. However, we, we also see in this passage that Jesus you know, longs for su 
for the support of his disciples, that they would pray for him in his darkest hour. Uh, and so we, we see in this passage the importance of prayer support and praying in community. Uh, even Jesus, our Savior, asks for his friends to pray for him. Now, I've been uh, blessed this past year, the past 12 months, to be able to join the, uh, the Tuesday uh, morning prayer group as a church, uh, where we, we regularly pray for each other. We pray for the needs of the church, and we pray for the community. And it's, a, it's been a beautiful thing, actually, to spend time uh, praying for my brothers and sisters uh, and to receive, actually, prayer support myself when I've been facing any difficulties. Uh, I also have a joy of spending uh, time with uh, a couple of different uh, men in the church, um, updating them on, on life, uh, and again, allowing them to pray for me and me to pray for them and what they're going through. And so I think, as, again, there's a challenge for us this morning. Um, perhaps God is asking you to make time to, to, to join in the corporate prayer times that we have as a church, uh, to join on Tuesday or Thursdays, uh, when we do meet as a church to pray. Or perhaps God is asking you to, uh, to get in community more, perhaps join an explore group if you haven't done that before. Perhaps uh, meeting up with uh, two or three uh, men or women within the church to regularly speak with them, to share life, and so that you're able to pray for them and they can pray for you. Praying as a community is, is one of the rich blessings of being in a church. So let's be a church who does pray in community. Now, as often is the case with the disciples in the Gospels, uh, we see them mess up. Uh, in the Gospels, we can look at Jesus and we say, okay, clearly that's what we're meant to do. But often we look at the disciples and say, we should do the opposite. Uh, and that's the case here. So Jesus brings the disciples with him uh, just hours before he's going to be crucified. Uh, and Jesus asks them to watch with him yeah, we read in verse 40 that Jesus returns to the disciples after praying, and he finds them asleep. And now Jesus, he rebukes them for this, and then the story uh, repeats itself in verse 43. With Jesus praying, he comes back to the disciples, and they are sleeping again. And I think there are uh, perhaps a couple of hard lessons here for us. I see, to, to my shame, I know that it is uh, all too frequent that someone will, will share with me a difficulty, uh, I'll offer to pray for them. I'll see them perhaps a few days later or a week later, and then I'll have that horrible feeling of guilt where I've no, I haven't spent time praying for that person. Uh, I wonder if you know that sense of guilt as well. Perhaps God is uh, speaking to you about that. Uh, Let's be people who are uh, steadfast and faithful in prayer and praying for each other. And let us seek for the Holy Spirit and his help uh, to guide us and to fuel us in our prayer life. And secondly, uh, note that Jesus asks the disciples to do a fairly small thing here. He, he asks them to pray for him for a couple of hours, which it, to me doesn't seem like a huge uh, sacrifice for the disciples to make. And yet the, the disciples fail in this fairly small thing. How often do we uh, dream of, of doing big and great things for God and his kingdom, and yet we can be unfaithful in the small things, such as praying? Uh, 
Jesus brings James, John, and Peter with him to the garden. And this is uh, the same James and John who, uh, just a few chapters earlier, approached Jesus and asked if they could sit at Jesus' right and left hand in the kingdom. And this is the same Peter who, uh, just earlier in the chapter, uh, boldly proclaimed that he would never disown Jesus. You see, uh, James, uh, James, John, and Peter, they, they desired to do mighty things for Jesus, which, of course, is a good thing. However, they, they first needed to do a, a seemingly small thing, which is uh, bow before God in prayer. So how many of us, and, and I, I include myself in this, but uh, how many of us believe, you know, and we, and we desire to do uh, things for God's kingdom? And yet we forget that this must begin with prayer. See, the truth is that if we are to, to finish the race set before us, then we must start by falling on our knees in prayer. Uh, there we go. Click is working. And, and verse 41, I think, gives us a clue as to what the disciples' uh, problem was. Uh, I think they were... They were arrogant, really. They, they trusted in themselves and did not know or, or they forgot how, uh, how weak they were. They forgot that they needed God's help and protection. They needed to humble themselves in prayer. And we, we receive a, the result of their attitude and their, their prayerlessness a little later in this chapter. Uh, we read that Jesus is, is arrested and we read simply that all the disciples deserted him and fled. In addition, we know that uh, Jesus infamously denies Jesus three times. Uh, the disciples are tempted to desert Jesus, and they fail. Uh, Jesus uh, still loves them despite this, uh, and Jesus uh, loves us when we still fail to pray. Thanks, thank God for his mercy and his compassion on us. However, let us this morning learn from the disciples' mistake. And let's be a people of prayer. Let us not be found sleeping when the church is in need, but let us instead be found awake and praying. Uh, we're now going to uh, turn our attention uh, back to Jesus and the contents of his prayer. This is the, uh, the second member of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus, God the Son, and he is speaking in prayer to the first member of the Trinity, God the Father. Uh, and we have this opportunity this morning to listen in and to see what Jesus said in this significant moment in the history of the world. And when we, when we look at Jesus here, we see him in a, in a, in a new way to some extent. Uh, uh, we read uh, in the Gospels that generally Jesus is moving forward powerfully. He's He's fearless, he's working miracles, he's speaking wisdom and doing many mighty deeds. And then we, we come to this passage and we read that Jesus is sorrowful and troubled. In verse 38, we read that Jesus' soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Uh, we, we truly see Jesus' humanity in this passage of Scripture. And Luke's account of this uh, same event adds some further detail. Uh, in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, 
it says about uh, Jesus being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Uh, now Luke, uh, the writer of that gospel, he's a physician, a doctor, and, and whilst there is, there is some uncertainty regarding whether Jesus was actually sweating blood, which is a, it's an extremely rare medical condition uh, that is uh, precipitated by the most extreme stress. Um, or instead, perhaps this is uh, just a figure of speech, meaning that Jesus' sweat was comparable uh, to great drops of blood. Uh, but regardless, it adds some detail about uh, the absolute agony uh, the anguish and the stress that Jesus was under in this moment. Uh, you see, Jesus knew what was facing him the next day. Uh, he knew that he was facing physical pain, uh, the very worst physical pain that his enemies could inflict upon him. He knew that he was going to be arrested uh, and beaten. Uh, he knew that he would be struck multiple times and he, that he, ultimately he would be crucified he would, his hands and his feet would be uh, nailed onto a cruel cross. Jesus knew that he would not only suffer physically, uh, but emotionally too. He would be judged uh, before court, despite being completely innocent. He would be mocked, he would be spat upon, and he would be killed between two sinners. And on top of all these things, Jesus knew that He was going to be abandoned by his closest friends and family. He was going to suffer everything alone. And yet, despite all of this, um, I don't think what I've said so far really captures the full weight of what Jesus was facing. Uh, There was something more. Uh, You see, Jesus uh, knew that he had come to Jerusalem to die. In fact, Jesus predicts his death Um, a number of times in the Gospels before this point. And yet here we see Jesus in this new way. Uh, Jesus' prayer helps us to understand what is going on. Uh, Reading uh, from verse 39 then, we read Jesus pray, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is asking the Father to remove or take away this cup. It is this cup which is causing Jesus such great distress. So we need to answer the question, what is this cup? It is the cup of God's wrath. The cup is spoken of um, in the Old Testament a few times. In Isaiah 51 verse 17 Um, It refers to the cup of God's wrath. In in Jeremiah 25, verse 15, uh, it similarly refers to the cup of of the wine of wrath. And in the New Testament, uh, Revelation chapter uh, 14, verse 10, speaks of the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Uh, God the Father is asking Jesus to take the cup of God's wrath. This is what Jesus saw in the garden. That's what was causing Jesus such great anxiety and distress. God's wrath. Speaking about God's God's wrath is obviously not a popular topic. Uh, The idea that there is a higher being uh, that has the the right uh, to tell us what 
is right and wrong is, is hugely unpopular. Um, and yet it is what the Bible teaches. Indeed, the, the wrath of God is mentioned over 600 times in the Old Testament alone. Uh, we like to think upon the fact that God is, uh, God is love. And of course we should. It's an amazing truth. Uh, but it's also right for us to consider the truth of God's wrath at times. And John, John Piper helps us to understand God's wrath as follows. He says that uh, God's holiness, God's sovereignty, God's love, and the other attributes that are part of his eternal being are always in play. And God's wrath is a function of those attributes when faced with our sin. God is righteous and just, and therefore God hates sin. God hates sin. Um, so when, when I'm talking about sin, please know that I'm not excluding myself when I talk about sin. And I'm not excluding anyone from this church, and I'm, I'm not excluding actually anyone from all of human history apart from Jesus. At Romans uh, says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 3, puts it simply, uh, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's wrath is a, is a righteous response to human sin. So uh, this morning I want to consider uh, the following. I want you to uh, consider that you, you have a cup before you, which you're holding in your own hands. And every time... You sin, you, you put a drop into that cup. Uh, every time we dishonor God, that's a drop in the cup. Every time we lie, is a drop in the cup. Every time we say a harsh word, is a drop in the cup. Every time we, we have evil thoughts, uh, pride and jealousy, another drop in the cup. I don't know about you, but over the course of my life, uh, the cup I'm holding is pretty full. And now imagine that this is repeated across uh, the whole world and across all of history. Now you can imagine that God takes each one of our cups and he pours it into one huge single cup. All of the sins of the world in a single cup. This is the cup that is placed before Jesus. And this is the cup that the Father is asking the Son to drink. So Jesus knows that the Father is asking him to drink this cup, taking on the wrath of sin. In doing so, Jesus would become the very object of God's wrath. Uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says uh, that for our sake he being God the Father, uh, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin, all our wrongs, they were uh, imputed or attributed to Christ. Uh, Jesus, the one who had no sin in himself, um, he bore our sin. Uh, Jesus suffered and took the penalty that our sin deserves. And in exchange, we receive Jesus Christ's righteousness. 
And so it was at the prospect of drinking this cup that Jesus is filled with sorrow. Jesus knows how offensive sin is to God, Father, how provoking it is. So Jesus knows that he was to bear the result of that offense and provocation. Perhaps the most terrifying thing to Jesus was that he was going to suffer and die without the loving support and comfort of the Father. And Jesus had lived his whole life in the knowledge of his Father's love and an intimate relationship with the Father, yet he now had to face death apart from his Father, with his Father's face turned away. Jesus was going to be separated from the Father, and the Father would be silent to his cries. Jesus will shortly be crucified, and shortly before he, he dies, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus dies, he has been forsaken, abandoned, and deserted by God the Father. This is, a, this is a greater anguish than we could ever know. The eternal union between the Father and the Son is broken for a moment. This was heartbreaking for both God the Father and God the Son. God knew that the, the only way to offer salvation to man was to pour out his wrath on the spotless, sinless one, Jesus. And so it's in this anguish that Jesus is feeling that he, he prays and he asks the Father to take away the cup. He asks if, if there is another way. And Jesus is, um, is not sinning here. Uh, Jesus is not being dis- disobedient. Uh, Jesus is, uh, sorry, Jesus is, is looking at God's wrath. And he is asking if there's another way for um, salvation to come apart from this. Uh, let's read the remainder of Jesus' prayer. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, this is a staggering prayer. See here how Jesus reveals that his desire is to do the Father's will. This is remarkable. Yet not as I will, but as you will, Jesus prays. This is perfect submission. Uh, Jesus faced a greater terror than we could ever begin to imagine, but he remained committed to the Father's will. Uh, Jesus does not insist that God the Father take away the cup. But ultimately, Jesus shows that he is obedient to God's will here. God's will is what is most important to Jesus. Um, it's not that Jesus' desires were um, opposed to God's will, but instead that Jesus comes to this point in his life and he just wants to double check if there is another way to proceed and still to live in accordance with the Father's will. But the Father says, no, there is no other way. And Jesus submits. Uh, Jesus uh, gave of himself freely. He laid his life down of himself. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, uh, 
we read that Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Uh, we can read of uh, Jesus' full obedience to the Father uh, in action, actually, in, in John's Gospel. And after this scene, uh, Jesus is arrested, uh, and Peter draws a sword in defense of Jesus. Uh, but Jesus says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So we see from what Jesus says here that after praying, Jesus is now fully committed to drinking this cup. Prayer changes us. Uh, Jesus uh, prayed to the Father, and he's now committed himself to the Father's plan. And so what does uh, Jesus' obedience here mean for us? I want you to uh, imagine that cup in your hands again. Imagine now that God the Father takes that cup out of your hands. He, he places the cup in the hands of Jesus and Jesus drinks it dry. Jesus drinks every last drop. And Charles Spurgeon uh, puts it as follows. Jesus took the cup with both hands and he drank damnation dry. And so as we approach Easter, let's remind ourselves again that Jesus is not some, some superhero who did not experience our troubles and pain. Uh, Jesus was God himself come into the world, uh, fully God and fully man, and he experienced the most extreme sorrows. And this Easter, uh, let's dwell on Jesus, let's consider his sacrifice, and let's give him the glory. Uh, if you are a non-Christian and you're joining us this morning, um, and if a lot of this is new, uh, then I invite you to let God take away the cup from your hands. Uh, there's an invitation this morning to, for you to, to place your faith in Jesus, the one who loves you and the one who died for your sin. Uh, Jesus' prayer, um, it also teaches us something significant about how we should pray. How do we pray in difficulty? Are we willing to say, let God's will be done? You see, when we, when we pray, we are like, like children coming to our parents with a, with a request. And a parent will, will answer a child's request in, in one of three ways. They'll say yes, no, or later. And it's the same for when we approach God, our Father, in prayer. In response, God will say yes, no, or later. And therefore, we, we need a, a heart that is willing to submit to God's will, that is willing to hear God say no to some of our prayers. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, design, defines prayer as the following. Uh, prayer is an, an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Uh, the phrase uh, agreeable to his will, I think, is key. You see, when, when we pray um, in accordance with God's will, uh, we ensure that we're not praying into sin, whether accidentally or, or not. It also ensures that we are praying for what God knows is good, 
rather than what we believe uh, to be good in our own um, limited understanding and wisdom. Uh, perhaps more bluntly, I could say that we must be careful not to pray, my will be done when we pray. Uh, prayer is, is both the offering up of our desires to God, uh, but also the committing of our ways to God. Uh, I think this is, this is tough. Um, it certainly is when I think about this. Um, but praying in this way, praying genuinely that God, your will be done, is the path of true and mature prayer. Um, additionally, when we, when we can genuinely pray, God, your will be done, we actually receive God's peace because we can trust that God's will is good. Uh, and yet this is, this is also half a truth because I think actually we can fall into two traps, um, one of which I've just described. So one of the traps is that we can uh, not pray genuinely, your will be done. But there's a second trap, and that is that we can become uh, too passive or timid in our prayer, where we don't tell God our desires. And, and neither of these two things are good. You see, it's not, it's not sinful to ask God to relieve our suffering and our trouble. Um, Jesus did it. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, we read that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Earnest pleading before God is good. And we should confidently lay our requests before God, knowing that he, our prayers are heard and knowing that our prayers are powerful. But there's a balance uh, to be had between praying earnestly, laying our requests before God, uh, but also ensuring that we are ultimately praying that God's will be done. Uh, Tim, Timothy Keller summarizes, summarizes this uh, balance better than, than I can. Um, in his book, uh, Prayer, uh, he says, uh, just, there we, go. Uh, we must not, uh, pray not only with shameless assertiveness, but at the same time with a restful submissiveness, a confidence that God is wiser than we are and wants the best for us. So let's learn to, to pray with assertiveness, but also with a sub submissiveness to God's will. And let's remember this morning that God can not only um, empathize with our struggles, but he can either miraculously change situations to remove difficulties, or he can provide the comfort, support, and grace to sustain us through those difficulties. Uh, and so as we close, let's, uh, let's remember that it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus submitted fully to the will of the Father so that we can receive forgiveness for our disobedience. Uh, let's remember that Jesus agreed to take the cup of wrath that we deserve, and he drank it himself. Let's remember that we can always have access to God's love, mercy, and grace, because at the cross, Jesus did not. And let's remember that at the cross, uh, God the Father turned away from Jesus. We know that God will never turn away from us when we cry out to him. We can have confidence that God always hears our prayers. And I'd like us to 
uh, respond in a, in a slightly different way this morning. I feel that it's, it's right to spend a few moments uh, considering again the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to invite Hannah and John back up, and they're going to lead us in a song. So I'd, I'd encourage you to, uh, to, to simply listen to that song, or, or perhaps to join in, um, as you, depending on what you feel is appropriate. But let's um, yeah, use that opportunity to, to worship, to remember uh, what Jesus sacrificed for us. And after, after that uh, time of worship and reflection, there'll be, there'll be an opportunity for us to pray. And I don't want us to, to miss the opportunity to pray this morning. And so I'd, I'd encourage us to seek prayer um, uh, that God and the, and the Holy Spirit would help us in our prayer lives. Perhaps you know that you, you need God's help to continue in prayer once the 40 days of prayer has finished. Uh, perhaps you know that you need uh, more of God's help and grace so that you would learn to pray with greater assertiveness, but also with a submission to God's will. Let's not be like those uh, disciples um, who fell asleep and who were forgetful, but let's instead seek God's help this morning. Let's seek God's um, Holy Spirit that he would sustain our prayer life. Uh, and also if this message is, is new for you, um, if you're a non-Christian and, and you want to explore Christianity and what it means, um, if you want to speak to someone about, about Jesus and what he achieved on the cross, um, then there will be um, an opportunity for you to join a separate breakout room where you can simply talk to someone about those things. Um, there'd be no, uh, it'd be a, a pressure-free environment, just an opportunity to ask uh, any questions that you may have. And so if you, if you do want to pray after uh, our time of worship, then you can just type in prayer into the message uh, function. Um, or if you are, are new to Christianity um, and you want to join a group where you can talk to someone about those things, you can just type uh, me into the um, message function and we will move you into the groups, the breakout rooms um, as appropriate. But let me, let me pray briefly. And then we'll uh, respond in worship. Yeah, Father God, we are amazed again this morning at the sacrifice of Jesus. This morning we, we just want to offer up our thanks and our praise to you. We want your name to be glorified. And God, would you help us, God, as well in, in our prayer lives? Would you uh, send your Holy Spirit upon us again this morning, that you would uh, fuel us as we uh, move on from these 40 days of prayer in the weeks ahead? Would you help us to be a, a people of prayer and a church of prayer? And God, as we now turn to this time of worship and reflection, would you help us to, um, to see you with greater clarity, to help us to dwell on you well. Continue to be with us, and would you be glorified in this time, I ask. 
your precious name. Amen. Amen.